0: So, what we are reading right now is a very, very important moment, not just in the book of Acts, but in the story of the kingdom of God, really. Because this is the fulfillment of a promise that God had made in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2 that said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. How many of you guys remember that, right? So, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So, In chapter 2, if you guys remember, the Holy Spirit had already fallen down. He had come to those who were in the upper room, and he had baptized them. And they began speaking in tongues as a fire. But that was only part of the promise being fulfilled. Because it was only the Jewish Christians that had received the promise of the Holy Spirit up to that point. But Joel said that all... I will power my spirit on all flesh, on every single body, Jew and non-Jew. And so this is what we see here in Acts chapter 10 happening with the house of Cornelius. They were the first, the vanguard, to be in front of this incredible event. And so if you guys remember in the chapters leading up, things are kind of crescendoing towards this moment. So just to recap, because we've been gone, right? We have, we've had Easter. We had a great Easter service, if you guys were here. We had a, an amazing time remembering uh, the resurrection of our Lord. Um, but before that, we were studying cha- uh, Acts chapters 8 and 9. And in chapters 8, what did we see? We saw, we saw that there was uh, the ministry of Philip going on in Samaria where he preached to an Ethiopian eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch uh, who was a Gentile. If you guys don't know what Gentiles are, a Gentile is basically anybody who is not Jewish, who was not a son of Abraham, who was not a descendant of Abraham. And so uh, this Ethiopian was not a descendant of Abraham. And so we see a convert right there who is a Gentile. And we also see another important event happening in chapter 8, and that is the persecution of the church. If you guys remember, in the previous chapters, Steve, uh, Stephen was killed. He was the first martyr. And so, though after that, there was a great fear, great persecution in the church. And so, while this was a horrible event, it was a terrifying event, it was also an event that catapulted the church to the four corners of the world because people were trying to flee persecution. It was hard. It was difficult. Everywhere, they had to be careful who they spoke to, who they talked to, because they were at risk of being killed at any moment. Being stoned, being thrown into a ditch and you know had rocks thrown on, that's a very painful death. So in attempting to flee this, the church began scattering. And so this opened up the way For the gospel to be spread to other nations that were not the nation of Israel. And then in chapter 9, in chapter 9, we see the conversion of the Apostle Paul, who at that time was called Saul. If you guys remember, Pastor Josh preached about it on the first week of April. So Saul uh, was breathing uh, threats against the church. But then Jesus comes, and what does he do? He literally knocks him down, and he humbles him and say, and says, "Saul, I need you. Saul, why are you persecuting me?" You know. And from there on, Saul sees the light quite literally, right? You guys remember the story? And he comes to uh, he comes to Jesus, and we'll later on find out that it's Paul that is the one that's going out to the Gentiles. He's God's ambassador to the Gentiles. And so we see these tiny events leading up to this, to this event in chapter 10. So let's go ahead and let's dive a little bit deeper into into chapter 10. So in verse 1, we see uh, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So there's a couple of really important things to keep in mind here. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was not a Jew, because to be a centurion, you had to be a Roman citizen. And so uh, a centurion was a military commander at the time of a cohort. If you know about military, the modern-day equivalent would be something like a colonel or a major Around, uh, around that. He was in charge of around 500 men. But you had to be a Roman citizen. Furthermore, he was stationed in Caesarea. And so if we look at a map of Israel, I'll have some slides next week, but if we look at, um, at Israel, Caesarea is up north, but it is not a Jewish city. It is a Gentile city that was built by King Herod the Great uh, to honor the Roman emperor at the time, Caesar Augustus. And so, so this was not a Jewish city. And, um, but somehow, probably because he was in proximity to other Jewish Christians, he was devout and God-fearing. And so that's something to admire right there. And he gave generously, uh, verse 2, uh, he gave generously to those in need and pray to God regularly. One night at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, right? And we see this vision uh, where the Lord tells him, hey, send men to Joppa. There you'll find Peter. I have a greater plan. Go send men. And so Cornelius does exactly that. And so skipping down to verse nine, now we're going to see Peter's vision. Peter has a similar vision. Verse 9, at about noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meat was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being led down to earth on its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds, And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, the Lord replied. I have never eaten any, I'm sorry, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now it's important that we focus here a little bit. So Peter was in the city of Joppa which was about 25 miles south of Caesarea. So it's about from here to, if you know the city well, here to Covina, here from maybe to um, probably like Vanguard University and Costa Mesa around there. It was that far. So imagine having walked that much. This is what these men had to travel through on foot, right? Or if they were lucky enough, they had horses. But these men were traveling, and as they are traveling, uh, God is giving Peter this vision, saying kill and eat. And so what this vision is doing is prepping and teaching Peter something very important. Okay, It says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And so if you know anything about the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, also known as the Torah, there's many names for it you will know that they had a very strict diet. It was a very strict law. They had a lot of laws. I believe it's over 600 laws that they had to observe. And if they weren't careful, any mistake could cause them to be spiritually unclean. And if they were spiritually unclean, then they couldn't go into the temple. They couldn't worship God. They couldn't do all sorts of things. And so one of the limitations with this law is that they couldn't just eat anything. They couldn't eat pork, for example. They couldn't eat shellfish, so like shrimp. They couldn't eat oysters. Man, I don't know how they were doing it, because, man, if you're if you're a Mexican like me, or, whoo, you know, some chicharrones, some pulled pork, man, man. So these were limitations. The Jewish people could not partake in these, and so, Peter is appalled when he sees this vision, because he's like, Lord, you know, you, you told us that we couldn't eat this. What's going on? Why are you all of a sudden you know changing? There must have been confusion in Peter's mind. What, what what's going on? And so what does God say? Verse 15 he replies, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So basically, here what God is trying to tell Peter, is saying, I purified everything. Remember, not too long ago, Jesus came, died, and rose again. Jesus came to, if you guys remember that verse, he said, I come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, to fulfill the promise of salvation, that we would all be cleansed, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And so this is, The purpose for the vision. God is trying to is attempting to tell Peter, It's okay, it's okay. I purified it. And and he tells him three times. And so anytime that you see something repeated in scripture, you want to pay close attention to it. It says that God told him three times. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Verses fifteen and sixteen. So that's crucial. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius, where Simon's house was, uh, found where Simon's house was, and stopped at the gate. They called, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said to the man, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And so the man right there respond, Well, Cornelius, our master, had a similar vision. He told us to come here and fetch you. And so there's a couple of things that I want us to observe here. These men, they're from Cornelius' house. So they're also Gentiles. They would also be unclean. So again, Going back to the Jewish law, there were, a lot of limit, there were a lot of things, a lot of rules that they could not follow. One of them was interacting with somebody who was a Gentile, who was non-Jew, who was not of the line of Abraham. And so, here are these three men from a Gentile household, and Peter's like, okay... Um, all right, I'll let you in because God told me to, but this is, this is not right. This is not right. Because if you keep reading the narrative, he lets them inside. Furthermore, th- all of this is happening in the house that is already unclean. Because, again, going back to the Mosaic Law, you couldn't touch anything that was dead either. And so a tanner, he has to deal with dead animals, dead skins. So it was already an unclean house and Peter's already here and now you have three men who according to Jewish law were unclean. And so for Peter in his mind he must be thinking what is God doing here? Lord, are are you testing me? Are you challenging me somehow? But as we're going to see it's a way of God challenging Peter, and I think that's important because oftentimes our our calling is contained in our challenges. Oftentimes, our challenges are what make us grow. Right? It's all written throughout Scripture. Moses, you know, his calling was to was to free the people of Egypt, but. He first had to grab the courage and go up to Pharaoh. David had to go up to Goliath. And even during his tenure as a king, he had all these challenges. And so right now, the Lord is challenging Peter to let go of the old way and start thinking about the new way, the new way in Christ. And so, moving down to Verse 23, Scripture says, The next day Peter started out with them. Some of the believers from Joppa went along. And this is something interesting here is that, you know, Peter is Peter's in Joppa, right? And so he's being called into a Gentile city. But there's also an Old, prof, uh, old Testament prophet who was in the city of Joppa and was also called to uh, minister to a Gentile city. Does anybody know who that prophet is? John? No, not John. Jonah. Jonah, that's right. Jonah. Jonah was called to Nineveh. And he was also in Joppa when he was called. And so we see a parallel right here. And the funny thing is that uh, Peter's real name is Simon, the son of Jonah. So... Peter's father's name is actually Jonah. So that's just something, something interesting about the word of God. It's funny. And so verse 24, the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and said, stand up. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Look at the audacity of Peter. Going into uh, Cornelius' home, a military commander who could easily have his head like that, and he tells him, You're unclean. That's a, uh, man, if I were Cornelius, I, I, I would have jumped off the cross right there and then, you know? But thankfully, Cornelius was a patient and God-fearing man. Amen? If not, no more no more. Apostle Peter. That would have been it. But thank God that Cornelius was patient. And so Cornelius then proceeds to tell him, hey, I had a vision to go and seek you, and apparently you're having a vision too. What's this going on? What's all this going on? And when Peter hears that, this is what he responds with verse 34. And Peter said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So here Peter is finally starting to get it a little bit. Okay, God doesn't show partiality. How many of you guys are grateful that God doesn't show partiality? Right? We're all welcome at God's table, regardless of race, nationality, gender, social background, etc. Nobody is exempt from God's kingdom. And that's the important thing about this chapter. And Peter's finally recognizing that right here. He says, you know, uh, after here, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. After this, he recognizes and then he starts evangelizing to them. Verses 36 to 43. He starts telling them about Jesus and who Jesus was. The Messiah, the coming one. The one who healed the blind. Who stopped the issue of blood in that woman. The one who performed all these miracles. That's Jesus. And so Peter starts to evangelize to this household. Chapter, I'm sorry, and then verse 44. While Peter is doing all of this, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Isn't that powerful? Because... The Holy Spirit is such a critical aspect in all of our lives. He is the third person of the Trinity. It's through him that we have access, through him and Jesus, that we have access to the Father. When we come to Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us in Ephesians 1.4, I'm sorry, 1.13, that we are sealed with the stamp of the Holy Spirit. So once you come to Christ, you're stamped. His royal seal is on you. Boom. You're my son. You're my daughter. Here's my seal. And here, not only are they receiving the seal, but they're receiving the second step, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, let, let's, let me explain that. So, there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. See, having the Holy Spirit is that seal, right? That I just mentioned, that Scripture tells us in Ephesians. However, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we begin speaking in tongues, that is a symbol, it's a demonstration that you're seeking God. And it's a demonstration of maturity and of trust, of greater trust, greater intimacy with the Lord. The Lord sees that and then he sends a spirit and he fills you more and more. and He baptizes you with the spirit. And so the physical evidence for that is speaking in tongues and that's what we see here. So it's without a doubt, Peter sees, without a doubt, now the Gentiles can partake in the kingdom. Isn't that something? Now you and I can partake in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Now we're all welcome at the table. Amen. Amen? And this is powerful because the Holy Spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is the spirit that heals, that restores that leads us to all truth. That same spirit, did you know it resides in you and me? That's what we're seeing right here. It resides in all of us. And so tonight, if you're going through something, realize that that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that healed, the same power that restores, the same power that forgive sins that same power resides in you and it resides in me isn't that encouraging amen that's so encouraging and so Peter sees without a doubt and we see without a doubt that we're all now partakers of God's kingdom amen well that's basically all i have for tonight <laughs> <laughs> My first time, I guess I'm a little short. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. So, so if anybody here is in need, I encourage you, seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me close off with this analogy that, that I like to use to explain this. It's, um, I remember one time when I was about sixteen, I went to Mexico and I was allowed to drive. It was my first time driving in the street and it was a It was an old truck i i didn 't even know the maker of the model. it was so old, but it didn't have any power steering and so when I got on it i 'm right here trying to drive <clears throat> with all my strength, having to Having to twist the wheel, it wouldn't turn. And then I came back and I told my parents, "Hey, mom, dad, I drove for the first time over there. Can I drive here?" "Sure thing, son." So they pulled me into uh, the Kmart. You guys remember the Kmart that was back here, the parking lot one night. And I'm like, I'm getting ready, right? I'm like, I'm gonna have to, you know. But no, I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Super easy. But that's life with the Holy Spirit. That's life with the Holy Spirit. You know, when we have the Holy Spirit, He infuses with that wisdom, that power. And so, no matter how many curves there's on that road of life, if you have that Holy Spirit, it's easier to maneuver those roads. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if there's anybody here tonight with a situation, call upon the Holy Spirit. Seek His presence. Look for Him. While He may yet still be found. Amen. So I'm invite us if you're able to stand on your feet. And if you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, don't be afraid. I know many people are, are afraid because speaking in tongues, what is that? That sounds weird. But you know what? You don't got to worry about that because you're just talking with God. You're not trying to impress anybody else. You're talking with God. And if God is trying to say something, there will be somebody with the gift of interpretation. So, but that's, that's a lesson for another time. So tonight, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus. And we thank you for your Spirit. The same Spirit, Lord, that raised you from the dead on that third day. You didn't leave us orphans, Lord, but you sent him to be with us as we cross this road called life, Lord. This evening, Lord, I pray that you fill us with your Spirit, that you fill us with your presence, Lord, with your power, Lord, because we need more of you, Lord. After all, who else can we turn to, Jesus? For you alone have the words of eternal life, Lord. You alone, Jesus. So tonight we draw near to you, Lord. We ask you to fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. We need more and more of you, Jesus, every day. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your precious name. Amen.